Hey, Pastor Zach here from the Grove Church, and I'm just excited that you are either streaming or have downloaded a sermon right here from TGC. Um, we're excited that you're here and just excited for you. I pray that it blesses you. But before we do get started, I just one thing I want to chat with you about. One thing I just want to really just plead with you that this would not replace you joining in with God's covenant people um, through the local church. I pray that this would be only supplemental to your growth in Christ and would in no way replace you joining regularly with God's people, sitting under your pastor and serving your brother and sister in Christ. And so if you're local to TGC, I just want to extend the invitation for you to come and join us. We're here every Sunday, 10 a.m., downtown Spruce Pine, right on Lower Street. We would absolutely love to have you. If you're not local, then I just ask and pray that you would find a local body of believers who love Jesus, preach the Bible, and is a place that you can both serve in and find community with. After all, this is God's plan to push back what's dark in the world. The local church is to be a light, and we pray that you would find that. I hope that this sermon blesses you. May God bless you as you listen to the proclamation of his word. morning everyone how's everyone doing good I'm doing great Joe uh, I'm glad to be here for those of you who don't know me my name is Zach I am the pastor here at the Grove um, and I am excited to be here this morning and to continue going through Colossians uh, with uh, the church family so I'm excited uh, for those of you who don't know we've been in the Colossians this is week six so we're about halfway through uh, our 12-week series through the book of Colossians um, so I'm going to briefly just kind of recap what's happened so far. Uh, it's not, I'm not going to recap the whole thing because then we wouldn't have time for the sermon. You guys are going to get hungry and riot and it'll be a whole thing. Um, but really quick, this letter, it's a letter, so we always call it a book, but it's really a letter that Paul wrote to uh, the church in Colossae or Colossae. And, and uh, uh, the, the pastor of this church, Epaphras, well, was just kind of struggling a little bit. Uh, the church has, uh, it, they're, they're in a rural town. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're they're kind of, they were a big town, they've kind of shrunk. Other towns like Corinth and Laodicea, they've kind of grown up around them, and so uh, they're, they're smaller, um, and they're really influenced heavily by the outside culture um, and, and, and in some traditions. And so Paul, uh, hearing of this, writes this letter to the church, just really trying to help them remember the gospel and to help them come back and to mature in Christ. It's a young church, it's a new church. Paul's never seen these people before, never met them. Uh, he's met Epaphras, the, the pastor, but he's never uh, met the church, never seen them face to face. But his love for them is so evident in the way that he writes and the way that he cares for them. Um, so he's writing this letter, and so far, uh, really, he's reminded them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's, he's not going to let them off the hook and say, like, you can go on to other things. No, the gospel is that thing that you go deeper in. It's, it's been said that the gospel is shallow enough for a child to swim and not drown, but deep enough for an elephant to, to swim. And so the, he's not going to let them move on to, to, to what they might think are better or greater things or deeper things because the gospel is the deeper thing. And so Paul's reminded them of this over and over and over again. And so today he's going to start to, he's going to continue that, but also begin to transition into some, some ways in which you should live because of that gospel. And so as you read, Paul's there says, therefore. And so this is something Paul does a lot. Um, and, and, and a lot of Paul's letters, almost all of Paul's letters, he spends the first half uh, or huge section of that letter 
preaching the gospel and sharing them incredible theology. So like the first 11 chapters of Romans is just the gospel theology. And then in, in, in 12, he says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, to, to live a life of worship. And so um, um, to live a life of sacrifice is your spiritual act of worship. And so Paul, for 11 chapters in Romans, for, in Corinthians, he, he, he shares the gospel and then begins to tell them, because of this, here, here's how you should now walk. And so he says here, therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So he's going to begin to, to talk to them about how the gospel, what are the implications of the gospel in our life? How shall we live? And, and what does that mean for us? What does the gospel do in our lives? And, um, and, and, and so this, this church in, in Colossae, it's a church that has a lot of influence, a lot of different viewpoints and, and opinions. And so he, he's trying to show them, hey, the gospel is your identity. Like there's all these opinions, all these outside um, things, all these inside things pressing you outward, all these outside things trying to press you towards certain things. You have this pressure from within and pressure from without that's trying to conform you into something that's not the gospel. But remember, you are to be conformed into the image of Christ, that, that your identity is in the gospel. And, and I can't help but look at our town in Spruce Pine, the surrounding areas, and saying, man, this is what's happening here. And we live in a, we live in a place that it's incredibly hard to be a Christian. So if you're here and you're struggling, what does it mean to be a Christian and, and, and where I live? Man, like, you're not alone. Like, that's a totally normal feeling because of where we live. It's so steeped in human tradition that when you read the Bible, you're like, I don't see how the Bible and all this stuff that these churches are doing, how this all works together. Or, or um, you have these other things from the world, and as, as, as these other cities around us begin to grow and we begin to have all this outside influence, you're going to be pressed from the outside and also pressed from within to, to leave the gospel behind. And, and we have to remember, just like Paul's remembering the Colossians, that no, our identity is in Christ. And so this is a hard place to be a Christian. Uh, the Bible Belt. Man, I, I'm, if I'm from California, like I... Ministry out there is a lot more black and white. People either love Jesus or hate him. Here people like, kind of like him sometimes, but not really. And that's like this weird, like, no, like that's not an option. Like you don't get to kind of like Jesus. Like you either are for him or against him. Like, like Jesus was really like, you have to love your mother or you have to hate your mother and father and follow me. This dude's like, hey, man, like I really want to follow you, Jesus, but I, my dad died. I want to go bury him. He's like, you can't. Like, you have to leave everything behind to follow me. And so, but we live in a place where it's like, ah, like, I really just, I don't want to, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to raise my hand and pray this prayer, and then I'm going to be a Christian and kind of just go on Sundays. But that's not the gospel. That's not what this is. It's not what Christianity is. And so Paul, we, we, we can resonate with the Colossians. So Paul says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And verse uh, 8 is really going to be the central part of the text here. Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul's going to say here, or what he's saying is, Remember to be in Christ and not in any of these other philosophies or deceitful things or elemental things or the things of this world, but be in Christ. He's going to remind them over and over again. So here's reminding them, be in Christ. Do not be captive. This idea of captive, do not, be, not, do not you know, put yourselves in captivity to philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world. So, man, we have that. We, that is so prevalent here that where there's these outside this philosophy, this human tradition, this deceitful elemental things of this world, and we have that, and so our identity can be caught up and held captive in so many ways. I mean, just thinking of, of a few, like, man, like, our job can become our identity. 
What's the first thing you, when you meet someone? It's like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? Like, that's our, that's our go-to in America is what do you do? That's your identity. What you do becomes who you are. You're not just Zach. You're Zach, the, the pastor, Zach, the, the business owner. You're not just Joe. You're Joe, the lawyer. Like, that becomes your identity. And so, man, our identity can be caught up in, in, in what we do. Our identity can be caught up in the, the kind of car we drive. I mean, man, like, I've never, like, people just, like, men just love trucks here. Like, there's something about, like, the higher your truck is. I don't know if, like, the closer you are to God because you're higher. I don't know what it is, but, like, there's some sort of belief that the higher off your truck is from the ground, the cooler you are. And I don't know where that comes from. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like some people need a step stool to get into their truck sometimes. But there's this identity that we have, and it's not just guys with trucks. There's tons of ways your car your house can become your identity man like i want to build this addition i want to put this pool in or this this patio i want to have this house like i want when people come over i want them to see who i am by looking at my house and, and we would never probably say that because that sounds bad but and that's the way we act and believe but we can talk about houses cars uh man kids kids become our identity like the more behaved my kids are that's my identity. Like, I want people, I want to go out, and I want people to compliment me on how my kids behave, and if they don't, I'm frustrated. I feel like I'm failing as a person. And our identity can be wrapped up in our children. Our, our identity can be wrapped up in who we put out there on Instagram. I think, in, like, what we post on Instagram and, and Facebook can have a lot of, of diagnostic into our heart of what we want people to see, where our identity lies. Um, fitness. I think fitness is, is a funny one because, uh, Fitness is one of those things, like, we, we, we tell ourselves we're doing for health, but then you, you go to the gym, and there's guys who, like, all they do is, like, bicep curls and bench press. It has nothing to do with health. Like, you just want to look good. Um, you, they never work out their legs ever. Um, and so you have these guys with, like, huge upper bodies and just little chicken legs walking around. Um, it's shameful. Like, everyone knows what's going on there. Like, you're just, this is vanity. And, and, and this, this happens, though, because we, we try and talk to ourselves. We try to talk ourselves out of, this isn't my identity. This is for health. This isn't, like, I just want my kids to... To be beheaded. I just, man, I just want to have a job to provide. Like, we can talk ourselves out of this being our identity by using these, these, uh, th this reasoning and, and, and thinking, no, this is okay for me to pursue. This is okay for this to be my identity because I'm a, I'm a, I need to provide for my family. It's okay. Like, I need to have a car to get me from point A to B, so I'm going to get the nicest car. Like, we can talk ourselves out of this, but we have to really think about what is our identity? Like, what is our soapbox, our thing? It doesn't even have to be things. It could be just philosophies or ideology. And we live in a really polarized time when it comes to politics here in America. And, 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 and politics become our identity. That it's not, I'm not Zach the Christian, I'm Zach the conservative, or I'm Zach the, the progressive. Like it becomes our identity of who we are, and it's our, it's our soapbox. It's, it's when, when, the, when the topic comes up, we have to speak into it. We ha we've got to speak into this because it's, it's the most important thing in my life is politics. It's so important that it is the thing that I have to talk about because it becomes who we are becomes the most important thing. And Paul's going to say, don't get distracted with all these other things. The gospel, Jesus, your identity is found in him. Your identity is found in the gospel, not in, not in who you vote for or who you're trying to get out of office, not in the kind of car you drive or the house you have or the job you have. Your identity is not found in those things. Those things are just a means in which you can spread the gospel. I mean, having a, a good house is a great thing. Like, we, when we bought our house uh, in 2010, like, 
we specifically wanted this house. We loved it. It had, it had a, a lot of room. It had a, a, a nice yard for, for people could park in. And it was the perfect house for us to plant the grove in because it, you could park outside. We, we could fit tons of cars. If, they all, if, he, if people think about where they park, we can fit tons of cars. I don't care if you park in my grass. You can park across the street, on the street. Like We wanted to buy a certain house in which we can host people and, and be hospitable. Like Having a nice house is not a bad thing. Having a certain kind of car, having a job in which you can be on mission for Christ is not a bad thing thing but it becomes what why do you have the things that you have why do you talk about the things that you talk about is 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 when, when we when we come so consumed with these politics or these ideologies or 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 sometimes it's not just politics it could be like healthy living or the, all these things that are our soapbox are these the things is, is that our gospel are these the things that we're evangelizing our friends over or is it jesus is it Jesus? And so we can think about, we have to think about where is our identity? Paul's saying we can get so distracted in our life that it can ruin the life we were meant to live. It can ruin the life that, to be on mission for Christ. Philosophy, empty deceit. It's this, it's not, and so what he's not saying too is that you step back and get into your like holy huddle and your Christian bubble and, and try and stay away from the world. But it's, it's being in Christ, but also in the world sharing Christ with others. And so Paul, he's going to talk about this idea a lot. In, in chapter 1, so this is just Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, he says, for by him all things created in heaven and on earth. So you were created by him, for him, through him, like all things were created. Verse 119 says, in, uh, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 2, uh, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 3 He's going to say, in, in, whom all hidden, uh, in whom are hidden all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge. So this, it's this continuous idea of in him. I mean, chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ, walk in him. Uh, verse 7, we're talking about this week too. Um, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, 2, 9. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in, in him. Verse uh, 210, 211, 12, 215,3247,417. Like we can keep going on and on and on. Paul's going to talk about in him, in him, in him, in Christ, in Jesus, over and over and over again because he wants us to find our identity in him. Not in all these other things, not in the world, not in our kids, not in our job, not in our marriage, but in Christ. And so the question is where do you find your identity? What is your thing that makes you who you are? And it becomes this, we have to diagnose ourselves and think, is it really the gospel that, that we find our identity, or is it these other things? So Paul's going to say that in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So you have been filled in him. So you're filled. Does Christ really fill you? Or, or where are you trying to get filled? Where do you go to to be complete? Do you go to your marriage? Do you go to your kids? Is, is it really your kids that make you feel full and complete? Is it your job? Like, is, is performing a certain way at your job so your boss compliments you or tells you? Is it your, your schooling, your grades? Like, what actually makes you feel complete? When you go to bed at night and you feel good about your day, why do you actually feel good about your day? Like, what is that thing that makes you feel complete, makes you feel full? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Are you trying to complete yourself? Like, do you really believe that Jesus is enough for you? Do you really believe that he fills you, he completes you? Or are you trying to be complete in other ways? 
See, Paul's saying that you are filled. He's not saying, go try and be filled by Jesus. This isn't a command to go do something. This is a walk in, in, in w- the command is walk in Christ because he fills you. Because he's filled you. Like, this is something, if you are a Christian, this is something that's already true. You don't have to go try and be filled by Christ. He has filled you. Has he completed you? What, I mean, we can, we, can we, we turn to other things. You can turn to all these things, these identity, like, if work completes us, if fitness completes us, if eating a certain way completes us, like, what actually makes you feel full? Let that be diagnostic today of where you find completeness. He continues after verse 10, he says in 11, in him, again, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So he uses this word circumcision a lot, um, and I'm, I'm just going to hope you guys know what that means so I don't have to like get a whiteboard out and do like a diagram. Margie told me that might be inappropriate, um, especially for like Facebook and, and online. But circumcision is, was this external mark for the, for, for the people of God. Um, and so when we go back and we read Genesis, and Genesis is this awesome story of the early days of this earth and, and of time. And so what happens is from, from Genesis 3 and, and all the way to 11, just, there's just really bad things happening. Um, men try and, try and complete themselves in other ways and try to be the rulers of their own life. And it just keeps messing up and keeps, they keep breaking things and ruining things. Um, but then in, in, in chapter 12, things begin to take a turn. God finds this guy named Abram, and he says, go, start walking east. I'm going to make you a nation. I'm, I know you don't have any kids, you don't have any family, but I'm going to turn you into a great nation, and from that nation, the entire world will be blessed. And then later, that, that nation goes through a, a horrific time of slavery, and, and God rescues them from slavery, and then he institutes this idea of circumcision, it's this external mark. He commands this. It's this external mark of you are a people of God. And so it's this, it's this external thing where they cut off some flesh to say you are part of the family of God, the chosen family of God. And he gives them the promised land. Um, in Deuteronomy, it says something that I want us to read because here's the reality. Uh, I'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9 and read for us. But, but I want us to really um, hear this because this external mark, although... It was an external mark of, of you are um, part of the family of God. It wasn't because of anything they did. Like the circumcision didn't make them part of the family of God. They circumcised themselves because they were part of the family of God. I don't, no matter what you've been taught, you are not a Christian because you chose God. God opened up your eyes and your heart to see the gospel. Faith is a gift from God. God chose Abram. Abram wasn't walking around super cool and righteous. Like, God chose him. God chose Abram, and God chooses us. And so, in Deuteronomy 9, starting in verse 4, it says, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. So he's saying that he's he's going to uh, help you destroy the enemy so you can come into the promised land. And he says, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Verse 6. 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until the day, until you come to this place, you have, rebe- have been rebellious against the Lord. God didn't bless the people of Israel because they were righteous, because they were good, upright in their heart. He blessed them because he was their God and they were his people. God chose Abraham because, in, in, in earlier Deuteronomy, in chapter 4, he chose Abraham because he was the smallest because he was the, the weakest, and so that he may be made more glorified in Abram and in the family of God. And so we, we have this not, not, ex, not external circumcision of, of the hands, but we have this circumcision of the heart, this internal circumcision where we are marked as the people of God in Christ. We are part of this family. We come into to this family because God has chosen to say, Zach, I want you to be part of my family because I love you. Not because you're great, not because you're a good speaker, because you're not, not because of anything you do, but I bring you into the family of God because who, of who I am. And I love you, and you're going to be my son. And, and, and there's this circumcision of this flesh, this internal change of heart, this, this idea where the flesh, this bodily flesh is cut away. And I am marked as part of the family of God. And, I'm, I, we're, and as Christians, we're brought into this family. We're brought into this really old ch- family. Like, like, God's, like, we think sometimes, man, God's doing some really cool stuff today. And he is. But we are part of this millennia-old tradition of Christians, of the people of God. And this idea is that we brought into something that's much older than we are. And it's not just here at the Grove. It's not just here in Spruce Pine, but all over the world for the last thousands of years, we're brought into this family to join this family. And that is our identity. Of in Christ, we are brought in to be, where, where God says, you don't have a father, but I will be your father. You don't have a God, but your God, and you will be my people. And that's the covenant we have with God. And that's this idea of this circumcision. There's this internal marking of who we are. And it's internal, not, not external. And, and, and if we ever get to Galatians, which I hope we will someday, Paul's going to be really specific that there's no external marking anymore of, of circumcision. This isn't, you don't circumcise the f- actual flesh to be part of the family of God, but it's internal. It's this change of heart that leads to external changes, but there's no external change that brings you into the family of God. He'll go so far as to say, if you think cutting off just part of it makes you holy, why don't you cut the whole thing off? That's aggressive. Like, sometimes people, people tell me that I'm too harsh, and I've never told anyone to cut their stuff off. Like, I've never said that. And so, like, I don't know if anyone could bring a charge and say, Zach, sometimes you're too harsh to men. You call us to too much. Like, I've never asked anyone to do that, and I probably never will. But this is Paul saying, if you think that makes you holy, just go varsity and cut it all off. There's no external mark anymore. We don't do things to earn God's favor. or to, We don't do anything externally to be part of the family of God, but it's what God has done in us that makes us part of this family. It's because of the gospel. We've gone from death to life. We've gone from being an orphan to having a father, to having brothers and sisters. And it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that does this. And here's the thing. We talk about gospel. We throw this word gospel around all the time. And it's good. We should talk about the gospel. The church should talk about the gospel all the time. The gospel should be central to all that the church does. But sometimes we might forget what it is. And so the gospel just so simply 
is the idea that you get God. You get God, that you're being reconciled to God. Nothing that he gives, but him himself, that you get God. If your idea of the gospel is anything but the fact that you get God, it's not the gospel. If, 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 if your gospel is, man, if I, if I do these things, if I come to God, then I'm going to have a good marriage, I'm going to have a good life, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to, man, someday I'm going to go to heaven and there's going to be mansions and streets of gold, and that's going to be so cool. If that's the good news for you, you've missed it. The gospel is you get God, and he's enough for you. You don't need any of this other stuff, and it's internal. And the reason why it's such good news that it's internal is because that means all, all this external stuff can change, but it doesn't change you. If our circumcision is internal, if our change is internal, if we're internally part of this family and our identity is inside of us and not outside of us, but our identity is inside of us, then, man, I can lose it all, but I haven't lost God. And that is good. And so this is the gospel, is that you get him, and, and no matter what happens, you have him. And then he continues on. He, he talks about, in verse uh, 16, he continues on about circumcised. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God, I'm sorry, that's Deuteronomy. I was like, this doesn't sound right. That's not what I read. Uh, Colossians 12, in, uh, in verse uh, 12, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through the faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You have this new life because you have died with Christ. And, and so we have this new life. And, and so there's this incredible part that not only are we internally changed, we are brand new. And, and, and I, love, I love watching like espionage films and spy films and all this stuff. Like Jason Bourne, huge fan of Jason Bourne. Um, I think he's great. But all these films, or most of these films, understand this idea that to have a new life and to have a new identity, someone has to die. And so this idea that Jason Bourne gets this new life because everyone thinks he's dead, he has, to, he has to die, and then he gets like a new driver's license, a new passport, all this new stuff. Like we get that idea that to have a new life, to have a new identity, there has to be death. And the good news for us is that we're not the ones who have to die. Though we deserve death, Christ died on our behalf. And so we died with Christ and we are raised again with him to newness of life. And so we don't, we're not the old self anymore. We're not the old self. We have been crucified with Christ. Christ died for us, and we also died with him. We have the certificate saying that we have died, and we are a new person, a new creation, Corinthians would say. We are new. All these old things from your past, all these things that you do when the, when the, when the old man comes back up and, and, and tries to take control, you are new. Like, there's no charge against God's elect. Like, don't let, so it, it'll go on and finish today saying that, that he's um, triumphed over, over all the principalities and authorities of the world. So when, when the principalities and the spiritual authorities of this world, like Satan and the enemy, try to, to, to accuse you, and that person's dead. They're accusing a dead person. You are new. You live in Christ's newness of life and his righteousness. When the prodigal son returned, he got a new robe that was clean. And we get clean clothes, and we no longer have that old person, but we are new in Christ, and there's no charge that can be made against us. And the reason why that is true, Paul says, and you who were dead, in uh, verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespass, 
trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So we, as Christians, believe there was this literal canceling of our debt. Not a metaphorical, the cross wasn't this metaphorical, uh, really good example of the mercy of God, but there had to be an atonement for our sin. So all the way back in Genesis, God said, if you eat of this tree, you will die. And what happened? Eve and Adam ate of the tree. But God didn't kill them. In the first act we see of God's mercy, he doesn't kill them. Instead, he kills animals and gives them skin. So something died, but it wasn't Adam and Eve yet. And so for us, Christ has died for us. We have committed treason against the king of the universe. And sometimes in our culture, we're like, that's not fair. Like, like we shouldn't deserve death and God's wrath and God's anger. That's not fair. Man, every modern government in this world, almost every modern government in this world, the, the, the punishment for treason is either death or life imprisonment. And we think our treason against the king of the universe, our rebellion against the king of the universe deserves less than that. If you try and commit treason against the United States, it's, it's, you're done. It's over. And you're treason against the one who created everything. You think you, God could just say, oh, I don't care. That's okay. Come on in anyway. No, someone had to die. And it's either you or Jesus. And Jesus said, let it be me. Let it be me. Jesus took our place and that wrath, that anger, that death that we so deserve, Jesus hung on the cross for so that we wouldn't have to. And there's this big theological word for it called propitiation. Propitiation, that is a, a, a $10 theology word. I know probably no one knows what it means, but it's this idea that the wrath of God for the, for the Christian was absorbed on Christ. That God literally poured out his wrath and his anger towards us as Christians onto his son Jesus so that we would never have to taste that wrath. It's the cup Jesus talked about in the garden. It's this idea of that, of that if I can drink from, if I don't have to drink from it, like don't let me drink from it. But Jesus drank from it because he had to for us. And that's the, that's, that's the good news. That's how we get this new identity. That's how there's no charges against it. Because all the charges against us was laid on Christ. All the charges were laid on Christ for the Christian. We don't deserve to be part of this new family. We don't deserve to be, uh, have this circumcision of the, of the heart. We don't deserve this new identity. We don't deserve to walk in Christ. But God says, though you don't deserve it, Come. Everything you deserved was poured out on Christ, and now you get what Christ deserved, the inheritance of the king of the universe. And this is the gospel. That inheritance is a forever relationship with God the Father. So how, what, what, what does this mean for us in 2018? Spruce pine. I think it means that we have to think about where our identity actually is. Is it really in the gospel? Is it really in the fact that you have God and that's all you need? Or do you feel like God is lacking and you need all this other stuff to fill you up? I, I think quickly you can answer that. No, God is enough for me. But I need you to look at your life and say, am I really living like God is enough for me? Or do I need other things? How do we navigate culture and, and, and all this stuff and all these people who have all these opinions? Like Spruce Pine and the surrounding area does not need another group of people with new opinions. What they need is the gospel. 
And so we have to be ferocious about declaring the gospel because, man, whoever gets elected, uh, whoever gets nominated to the Supreme Court, like, let's be honest, like, it's not going to change everyone's life here right now. But the gospel can today give new life. All these other things are secondary to the gospel. Now, I'll be honest, the gospel could have implications on on, on who we choose to vote for and how we choose to act politically. It has implications of those things, but the gospel's the most important part. If we're just doing these things, if, if our identity's caught up in these things, we've missed it. The gospel, like, this is going to save lives today, right now. It's going to change lives. It's going to give people a new life. It's going to bring people into a family who have no family. We have to be ferocious about declaring the gospel wherever God has placed us, whether it's at work, in our, on our street, where, wherever we play. We have to do that. So then the questions I want us to close with is, I want you to think about, where do you, what, what do you feel is too important for you to give up? Like, what is too important in your life to give up? What, 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 what is too much of an issue for you that would stop you from, from, from building a relationship with someone? Like, where do you draw the line? Like, man, I would love to share the gospel and build relationships with these people, but over here, I can't do that. Not those people. Those people are too different from me. They believe too much different stuff. Like, where is that line? Do you have a line? Where is that line? I think in there, you're going to start to find your, where your identity lies. What keeps you up at night? I want us to be clear I know I keep coming back to this, but we don't have to convince people of certain ideologies before they become a Christian. Like, you don't have to convince someone that to, that to believe, whatever your political spectrum is, whether it's conservative or progressive, like, you don't have to convince someone to be a conservative or to be a progressive before they become a Christian. Those things don't even matter the scope of the gospel. You don't have to convince someone about evolution or about um, all these things that we want to talk about. Like, Jesus is the gospel. They get God. All these things, like, just trust the Holy Spirit will guide the new Christian to where he wants him to go. We preach the gospel to these people. And, and as we gather as Christians and in our groups, we can, we can talk and we can have uh, dialogue about different topics, but when it comes to us building relationships with people who don't know Christ, people who aren't a part of this family, why are we trying to convince them of things that don't matter to them? Like, seriously, like, why are we trying to convince the world of things that don't actually matter when they don't have Christ? Like, cool, we have the right person in the White House, the Supreme Court, and the Congress, but people are going to hell. Like, why, like, what, what's the point? Like, are we really going to, like, what hill are we going to die on? Are we going to die on the hill of politics? Are we going to die on the hill of, of job, house? Or are we going to die on the hill where the gospel is not proclaimed so we can raise the flag of Christ up and say, here is your Savior, here is your way into the family, is through Christ. So let's, 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 let's major on the important things. And that's the gospel. Let's not get into the weeds of all these other things. Those things are important, and we, we should talk about those things as Christians. The gospel has implications when it comes to our justice system. Absolutely. Our, our gospel, the gospel has implications when it comes to racial reconciliation in our country. The gospel has implications when it comes to the Supreme Court and all these things. But what are you known for in your community? What are you known for online? That's the question. Where is your identity?
our town needs the gospel. And these have implications on how we live and how, how we become generous and how we spend our time and our money and our talents. Because I know like Spruce Pine in this area, like there's a church on every corner. There's a church everywhere. But there is a ton of hurt in our community. Like, like our schools, there's so many kids in poverty in our community. Our schools, so many kids are on free or reduced lunches. That, 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 that the people over, over this said, like, I don't even know if these kids are getting breakfast, so we're just going to provide free breakfast to every kid who shows up before school starts. So not free, not, not just reduced, but free breakfast at Greenlee Elementary, or Greenlee Prim, Primary. There is hurt, there is real poverty. Like, people need the gospel because they don't have anything else. Some of the kids don't get breakfast unless they come to school. It makes you think, what happens during the summer or on the weekends? And Greenland's not open to provide breakfast for these kids. Like, the gospel should shape us. There's a hurt here, man. There's, there's, there's all the time things are popping up. And I've been a part of other churches where then this guy, he's like the, he's like the deacon, and, and everyone, like, he's awesome. And then all of a sudden, man, adultery. He's caught in adultery. And, 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 and I'm not here to, I'm not judging that person. What I'm saying is, like, no one knew. Like, he, there was no one knew. And so now you have this whole family that's being torn apart. And no one had any idea because no one was having conversations. No one was being honest. There was no groups in which to be honest and open. There was no, like, it just wasn't happening. There is real hurt here, and the answer is the gospel. The gospel can change this. The gospel can change our community. So the last thing I want us to just to imagine as Christians here at the Grove is what would our community look like if there were a group of Christians so ferocious about the gospel that that was their identity? What could our community look like? What could our schools look like? What could the justice system here look like if we were so ferocious about the gospel that it changed who we were? It changed who we were known for. It changed what kept us up at night. It changed the way we spent our money. It changed the way we spent our time. What could it look like? I think it could look incredible. I think we could just like, and I, I love this story. I share it all the time. I think it could look like Ephesus where the people who make money through sinful ways, they'd have to riot because they're not making money anymore. People who make math in our communities, they're not making money anymore, so now they're, now they're rioting because they're, they're out of business. That would be a cool riot. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to transition, as you guys think about these questions, and we're going to transition to a time of, of song and, and the Lord's table. And so what, what I want is just to share that, that, that the gospel is the answer, not just for our community, but for you personally. And it is where you should find your identity. It's the only place that will fill you up. And so if that's you today, if you're, if you're man, if you've been filled by Christ, sometimes you forget, but you know I've been filled by Christ. I just want to invite you up to the table to remember God's and Jesus' sacrifice for you. To remember that propitiation. To remember that he's absorbed the wrath on, on your behalf. So you come up and you take the bread and you take the wine or the, or the juice so you can remember and say thanks to God for what he's done for you. Thanks for this new identity, for this new life, for this circumcision of the heart, for being a part of a family that you don't deserve to be a part of. And you come up and you say thanks. If, that, if that's not you, if you haven't been filled, maybe you're a doubter or, or a seeker, you're just trying to peek over the fence and see what this Christianity thing is about. Um, this, this isn't for you. Uh, if no one, you just stay, you can stand, you can sit, but no one's going to judge you for not coming forward. But, but it just wouldn't make sense for you to symbolically say thanks to something that you don't actually have or believe. 
But if you, it's something that you're interested in, you want to talk, I'll be over here off to the side. You can come talk to me if you need prayer. I'll, you come and I'll we'll pray for you. Um, but what I'll do is I'll pray now, and then we'll, we'll stand and we'll sing. And if, if you want to come up and partake um, as a Christian, you can. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much, God, for, for your word, Lord. And um, so often it reads us more than, than we read it, God. And, and, and I just pray, Lord, that today would be diagnostic in us that we can find out what our identity truly lies in. And that just as we would receive Christ through the gospel, we would also walk in Christ through the gospel. That our identity would be found in you and you alone. And we would enter into these other spheres of job, house, kids, politics. We'd enter into these spheres with a, with a new identity. Those things wouldn't be our identity, but they would be the means in which we can make Christ known. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and work internally that would lead to external change and movement and action. That we wouldn't get the cart before the horse and try and clean ourselves up, try and complete ourselves, try and fill what's lacking with anything but the gospel. So God, I pray for this time as we sing, Lord, I pray that it would be a sweet aroma to you as we sing and as we praise you. And as we remember the sacrifice and the absorbing of the wrath that, was, that we deserved, that you poured out on your son instead of us, Lord, that we would be thankful and that would propel us in this week with the gospel intentionality to share that with others. And Father, I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.